The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. Today we have a great text. And I, I love this text. It's the 19th chapter of Luke. Last week, uh, St. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. Well, I can give you one reason why he's not ashamed of the gospel, and you'll find it today. It's from the Lord who's at the, at the core of the gospel. And we have a wonderful text today on grace, which is the main reason why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, because in it, the grace of God is there. The grace of God for salvation, the grace of God that makes us whole. And today we have a text where we get to watch that in action. Uh, the 19th chapter of Luke, uh, Luke narrates uh, an incident that's only narrated in Luke, and it occurs as our Lord is on his way from uh, the north to the south. He's going to end up going up to Bethany. And in, as a matter of fact, a few verses uh, after this verse that we're going to read today, he will enter the city of Jerusalem on the day we call Palm Sunday. And he is on his way to Bethany, but he decides to go down by, by way of the River Jordan. And he comes near the, the entrance of the Dead Sea, north of the Dead Sea entrance, is a city called Jericho, still there today. And he goes through that city, and this incident occurs. Then he goes up to Bethany, and then he enters the city of Jerusalem. Uh, let's see this incident. But let's pray first. Lord, be our teacher today. Help us to understand this uh, wonderful incident in the life and ministry of our Lord, an incident that means a lot to us and helps us to understand what you're all about and what the gospel is about. So, Lord, bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. Now, you'll see that's not a compliment in a few minutes. <clears throat> he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed in a sycamore tree. Sycamore trees, uh, someone told me after the first service that they're a great climbing tree because the branches go way out. They're very leafy. So it would be a great place to get into a, a place to, to sit and be covered so you could see what's going on, but maybe everybody else wouldn't see you. So he ran ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Calls him by name. Uh, theologically, we call this a theophany. Uh, that's those, those incidents in the, New, in the New Testament and Old Testament where a person is called by name. Moses, Moses at the burning bush. Saul, Saul on the road to Damascus, remember? Called by name. Zacchaeus, I, uh, I see you up in that tree. Uh, so he, he came. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Uh, because uh, I want to... I want to uh, Hurry down, for I must stay in your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy. A superlative is used here. He was very happy to welcome Jesus. And all who saw it began to murmur, grumble. And they said, he has gone in to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And now we realize that chief tax collector and rich was not a compliment. A sinner. Tax collecting was a, really a very, uh, as far as the Jews are concerned, it was a it was a traitorous kind of uh, 
profession because these, you know, in, in the first century, the Romans uh, succeeded in their empire by a very elaborate and systematic and clever method of taxation, which they employed throughout the entire Roman world. And they brought the wealth back to Rome. That's why Rome was so wealthy. And But in order to tax, they had to know where the wealth was. And they didn't have computers or things to locate money in your bank account. Wealth was held in properties. It was held in a number of sheep you had or properties you owned. And it would take somebody on the inside that understood family traditions and understood the, the populace to be able to, to, to locate where that wealth was. And tax collectors were Jewish citizens that were paid by the Roman government and given commissions and protected by Roman soldiers, too, so you didn't fool with them. And they would then inform uh, Roman collector officials where the wealth was. And so then they would get a commission. But they were also duplicates. They would also come up to people and say, you know, I'm going to report you have 80 sheep I know here near Bethany. Uh, And the guy said, oh, please don't tell him I have that many sheep. Okay, I will tell him you only have 50 sheep. And then uh, how about giving five to me? And so they would get a payoff from people as well. So they were corrupted and also wealthy and also protected. And they were greatly despised by the people, as you might imagine. And so they murmured, he has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. Uh, And you have to realize in Middle Eastern culture at that time and today, if you spend the night in someone's house, or you invite someone into your house, you are, uh, it's a lot more than just going to dinner. It means you have an obligation relationship. It's an obligatory relationship that sets up by being in someone's house and accepting food from them in their house. So, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, Luke probably compresses the account. Perhaps the next day this happens, but the next sentence, at least in the account, is Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, where he admits now to perhaps uh, the defraud that he had done, then I repay it fourfold. Then Jesus said to him, now listen to this line. In light of your text that was read, Isaiah 51, a few moments ago, where it reminded us to remember the rock that we were hewed from, that we were children of Abraham, of Abraham and Sarah. Remember that is the way Isaiah 51 text a great messianic text, says. Now, with that in mind, listen to this text. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation, remember we looked at that word last week, it's used to translate the Hebrew word shalom, peace, wholeness, salvation. Salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Interesting line. Our Lord now restores his Abrahamic identity which he had sold out to the Romans in order to make to have advantage. He, too, is a son of Abraham. That's an interesting line. And then the last line is very moving. Then Jesus said, for the son of man. You know, our Lord never refers to himself as son of God. It's always said about him. He refers to himself instead by this mysterious phrase, son of man. He always identifies himself in terms of his connection with us, his identification with us which is certainly happening in this text as well. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the end of the incident. Wow. There's a series of, there are a series of surprises in this incident. It's an unforgettable encounter. And uh, 
believe me, it's been in more flannel graphs and chalk talks than any other scene in the New Testament. <laughs> Kids love this scene. They should. It's a terrific scene. Uh, I once preached on it when I was the pastor at Berkeley, and we have a banner committee at Berkeley, too, and they, the banner committee then made a whole banner, which they put in the Sunday school from then on, of Zacchaeus in his tree, but all those leaves and everything, and Jesus down below, and all the little kids uh, love that banner. Zacchaeus in the tree. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I see you. I want to spend the night in your house. Uh, there's a series of surprises in this incident. I want to alert you to them. Don't miss them. The first surprise is that Jesus would notice somebody in a crowd. That's a surprise. Uh, we don't expect it. You don't expect it if, when famous people come by. You don't expect them to stop. Have you ever been in a receiving line? You wouldn't expect in a receiving line for the, you, you know, you're being moved along. Uh, you wouldn't expect somebody to stop and identify with you and say, hey, how are you doing? I want to spend the night with you. Uh, you just wouldn't expect it. And... Uh, uh, Jesus, several times in his ministry, we are alerted to the fact that he's very sensitive to people. Very sen- You don't get the feeling that he's juggling oranges when he's talking to you. You get the feeling that he focuses on you. And he's done it over and over again throughout his, uh, the, the New Testament encounters. And that's true in this one. He notices one person in this crowd. And he notices him by name. So we call this a theophany. And that's a surprise. And the second surprise is that Jesus would befriend... Someone who has done so much real harm. This man has done real harm to everyone. Uh, that's why the people call him a sinner. And uh, ta- in fact, the word tax collectors is usually in the New Testament made synonymous with sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus uh, befriends him. Tonight, I'll spend, I would like to spend tonight in your house. And in Middle Eastern tradition, that is the, the mark of friendship. And third, that he would restore this man who has sold out his identity in order to favor the Romans and against his own people, that Jesus would restore him to his identity. He doesn't just forgive him in a meager way. He restores him. This man is the son of Abraham. I just want you all to know that. And then the the third or the fourth surprise is that a man like Zacchaeus, who precisely has made all his money by being hard-hearted, and being corrupt and taking advantage of people, that's how, that's how he's made his money. That this man would become suddenly so generous. Half of my goods I'm giving away to the poor. And those I've defrauded, which is admitting his fraud, line up, I'll repay you fourfold. I mean, that is a surprise. Well, these surprises converge in one sentence. That if we can understand this sentence, then we will understand... Uh, why St. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. We'll understand the center of the good news, the grace that lies at the heart of the good news. We'll understand what it means, and we'll see it in, in terms of its contrast, too. Uh, that one sentence is this strange sentence, they all murmured. They all murmured. Everybody was upset. Uh, we have sometimes uh, texts where it says the Pharisees were mur- murmured, or maybe uh, the Herodians murmured, but this, they all murmured, including the disciples. Everybody was murmuring about this. Uh, what in the world is he doing? Uh, what in the world is he thinking of? They all murmured. He has gone in to be with a sinner. Why did they murmur? 
If we can understand this and sympathetically understand it, then we'll be able to really see what our Lord is doing here. Uh, first, I think they're murmuring because they're looking for the Messiah. We know that's true because just a few, uh, a few days later, uh, our Lord will enter the city of Jerusalem and a great crowd of people will welcome him as Messiah. We know that the Palm Sunday uh, uh, exaltation doesn't last that whole week, but it's there on Palm Sunday. They'll call, they'll say Hosanna, uh, that, that is right from the Hillel. They'll sing the songs of the Hillel. They'll put their garments down on the, on the road and Jesus will enter the city in triumph. Now, John helps us to understand that part of that great crowd was because of the rumors that were spreading after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which will occur next at Bethany before he enters the city. But nevertheless, the people will welcome him as Messiah. They're looking for Messiah. The disciples are. Everyone is looking. That's why a great crowd is there. A great crowd is is there to welcome him as he goes down through Jericho. And uh, and then this happens. Uh, they're looking for a Messiah. And Jesus disappoints everyone. Why? Let me see if I can help you understand. When they're looking for a Messiah, they're looking for a Messiah who will be like Elijah and like King David. I can prove that. Uh, when you get to the end of the book of Malachi, which is the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, uh, this tremendous messianic phrase uh, appears. Uh, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I will send you. And uh, before that, it says, see, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be like stubble. The day of the Lord will come and burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. It will leave them neither root nor branch. And then I will send my prophet Elijah. This is why in the Seder meal, uh, the Elijah chair is left as the chair for the Messiah at the end of the Seder meal. Has anyone, has the Elijah come? Has the Messiah come? And when the people were looking for Messiah, they were looking for one that would be like Elijah. Remember what Elijah did during the, the period of the worst of the, of the Jewish kings, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel. Uh, there were false prophets, the prophets of Baal that Jezebel had brought in. And also the prophets of Asherah, who were the prophets of child sacrifice. These, these horrible abominations were occurring. Elijah boldly challenged the false prophets of Baal and the false prophets of Asherah. And at Mount Moriah, he won that challenge. And afterward, also the challenge against Jezebel, he won it. And then the false prophets were, were killed. Uh, and Elijah won that victory. It's interesting that right after that, he went into depression, but that's beside the point. He did win that victory. And everybody remembered that. Elijah was a great victor. And when the people were looking for Messiah in, in Luke 19, when our Lord comes through Jericho, that's still ringing in their ears. Listen to John the Baptist, who is the great prophet that spoke near Jericho and did his baptizing right there on the River Jordan, right near where Jesus is now. In the third chapter of Luke, we see John the Baptist and we see what an amazing impression he made on the people. Uh, in fact, listen to this line. Uh, this is in Luke, the third chapter. Verse 15, uh, as the people were filled with expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John the Baptist, whether he might be the Messiah, because great crowds of people were coming down. And John the Baptist answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. 
But one is coming who's more powerful than I am. And he's and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And by the way, he doesn't mean fire to warm your hearts. Uh, he means the fire of Malachi, the fire to burn up the stubble. I'll prove it to you. John the Baptist goes on. His winnowing fork, notice right out of Malachi, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. That's the good people. But the chaff, that's people like Zacchaeus, he will burn with unquenchable fire. I love this next line from Luke. And so with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. <laughs> well, it's good news to the wheat. It's not good news to the chaff. And this is uh, this is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist's expectation. No wonder John the Baptist himself, uh, when he's imprisoned by Herod, will send disciples up to Galilee to say to Jesus, are you the Messiah or shall we look for somebody else? Because Jesus doesn't seem to be taking the stubble and burning it. He doesn't seem to be putting his hand into the wheel of tyranny and, and, and evil and conquering it. And here, he starts out all right. He comes down to... He comes down to um, uh, Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And, you know, I think that's all right at the beginning. Zacchaeus, I see you in that tree. He's off to a good start there. Uh, now he should add a line like, you snake in the tree. That would really be good. And come down, folks. See, this is the person who's doing all this evil. There's the stubble for you. He would be, the people would have cheered him had he done that. Instead, he goes downhill from there. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I see you in the tree. Come on down. I want to spend the night in your house. What's going on? The people murmured. Doesn't he know that he's evil? Because one of the marks of a prophet is they're supposed to recognize the evildoers, like Elijah did. He recognized the evildoers and won a victory over them. Jesus is not doing that here. And they're looking for a Messiah like Elijah or a warrior like King David who won victories against battles. That's not what we're having. What happens here? He starts strong, but then he disappoints everyone, except for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus gains ground. Uh, Jesus loses ground. Uh, and I can prove how Zacchaeus gains ground. I've seen people when they've experienced grace, because that's what Zacchaeus experiences, uh, they always become generous. It's simply true. Their hand was clinched, opens up. Half of my goods I give to the poor. I mean, that is that man has experienced grace. And those who I've defrauded, I will repay him fourfold. People repent because of grace. Not because somebody else accuses them or makes them feel guilty, but because of grace. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. It's the grace of God that happened here. And it's what loosens up Zacchaeus so that he's generous and he repents. Wow. So Zacchaeus gains ground, but Jesus won no friends at Jericho that day. In fact, the shadow of the cross is really over this event. Our Lord disappointed them. He was not the kind of Messiah that they expected. But uh, he identifies with Zacchaeus. And within one week, our Lord will go to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he will identify with us. So that's why the shadow of the cross is over this event. Jesus is really like Elijah. He does fulfill Elijah. He does line up the 400 false prophets of Baal. He, he found Zacchaeus and found him in the tree. He does that. But just at the moment that the 400 false prophets are to be killed, a strange thing happens. Jesus will take their place and he will be killed. 
No one expected that. None of the disciples expected that. No one expected that our Lord would conquer evil, which does fulfill Elijah and fulfills David, but will do it by absorbing sin and death and the power of evil. And he'll do it at the cross. That's why the shadow of the cross is over this event. What he does for Zacchaeus here in a small way, uh, for which he uh, does not win friends, uh, for which Zacchaeus gains but he loses, will happen at the cross. In fact, in John, the 10th chapter, our Lord will say, I have authority to lay my life down. No one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it again. He does it of his own choice. But it happens. He did it here. Now, what have we witnessed in this account? What we've witnessed here is the love of Jesus Christ in action. Notice what's happened. First of all, we have seen the authority of Jesus Christ to act as he chooses to act. Karl Barth has an interesting line where he says, no harm must be done to our freedom, the critical choice, he calls it, and no harm must be done to God's freedom. As long as you keep those two grand theological themes together, you won't go astray in your theology. No harm must be done to your freedom. That's why such doctrines as universalism and all are not good, because they say that your decisions don't count. Your decisions do count. You have decisions to make that you have responsibility to make. So no harm must be done to your critical choice, to your freedom. Ah, but no harm must be done to God's freedom. He can save who he wants to save. He can do it the way he chooses to do it. On the cross, our Lord says to a thief, today you shall be with me in paradise. He has the right to do it. Without baptism, without any joining a church or anything else, the thief goes to heaven directly with Christ. Christ has the authority to do that. He has the authority, the freedom to act as he chooses to act. And he acts in favor of this man. He has the authority to do it. He chooses to do it. At the cross, he has the authority to lay his life down and to take it again. He goes to the cross himself. He takes it. He takes our place. He takes the place of the false prophets. No one expected that. And that we have just witnessed. His love has power and authority. That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the power of God for salvation. It has power. His love is personal. This event is totally personal. Totally personal. It's one man named, just like Paul on the road to Damascus is named. Love is not just a general truth. It's not just a general theme. It's not a mimeograph statement or a Xerox statement that is circulated. It is, con it is personal. Uh, for this one man, in this one place, it happens. I like this man. I like Zacchaeus. He's short. Uh, <laughs> I got a kick out of that. When I, you know, it says he wanted to see Jesus because Jesus was coming through. He was short, so he got into the sycamore tree, and he wants to hide a little bit because he is a tax collector and he doesn't have a lot of friends. So, he, but he wants to be in that leafy tree. He gets more than he bargained for, because when Jesus comes under the tree, he says, "Ah, I see you in that tree, Zacchaeus. There you are." But he's short. He thinks ahead. Uh, I always thought in the New Testament the worst um, nickname in the New Testament for the disciples had to be James the Less. Isn't that the worst? Uh, Andrew, Peter's brother, that's bad enough uh, to always be called Peter's brother. But to be called James the Less, that means the short one. 
unlike James, the brother of John, who's the tall one, probably. So James is short. I've lived with that all my life. My brother was 6'4". I was always little brother. And they said, you know, you're going to get tall. But that was a lie. It never happened. I, I never did. But I want to tell you one good thing about being short. You think ahead. And when famous people are around, you realize that tall people are going to get in front of you. So you have to figure out where to stand to see famous people. And I remember when uh, Jawaharlal Nehru came to Berkeley, the pandit Nehru from India. I wanted to see that man, and he spoke at the charter day at the Greek theater. And I saw this big limousine out front with a bunch of Secret Service agents. And I said, I'm going to get right by that limousine, and I'll see Nehru up close. And I did. He walked right there, and I was, he was going like this, and I saw him, the great Nehru. That was wonderful. And when John F. Kennedy came to Heck Edmonds Pavilion here when I was youth pastor, I said, I want to see him. And I saw all those limousines, same thing. I dashed out of Heck Edmondson to get down by the limousine so I could see JFK. And uh, that's what you have to do. You have to think ahead. And uh, uh, that's the advantage of being short. But he is in that tree. That's why kids love this story. He's a little guy. He's in the tree, but he's not a nice guy. He's a bad guy. And uh, that's why the people murmured. But Jesus Christ knew him. And... His love is given to this man, Zacchaeus. That's why the New Testament saved his name. His name is in the New Testament. I like that. This man. The gospel is for you. In baptism, you get your name. Your Christian name. It, se it settles the fact that you have an identity, your unique identity. And isn't it moving that when our Lord gives the saving experience to Zacchaeus, he reestablishes his name. He says, this man is the son of Abraham, hewn from the rock of Abraham. I want you to know that. Even though he sold it out, I'm restoring it. His name. It's personal. And love is not only an act of Christ's freedom. It's not only personal, but it's also concrete. It's an event that happens. What you must not do with this account, if you're teaching it to Sunday school or you're teaching it to yourself, what you must not do with this incident in uh, Luke 19 is to say, isn't this a beautiful illustration of the love of Christ? Oh, so nice. What a nice illustration. No, it's not. It's not an illustration. It's the very thing itself. This is the very thing itself. This is love. Love is Jesus Christ touching a person with leprosy. Love is Jesus Christ identifying concretely with a man named Zacchaeus. Love is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. That's an event, folks. It's not a sentiment. It's not a theory. Uh, when the present Pope, Benedict XVI, wrote his first encyclical, I got it. Uh, Deus Caritas Est. And, you know, all papal encyclicals are known by the first three Latin words that appear in the cyclical. And I was totally moved by our present Pope, Benedict XVI's uh, first encyclical. His second one I also have. It's, called, it's on salvation. But his first one is on love. The first encyclical of this Pope is God is love. The first three words. Let, let me read it to you. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. First John 4, 16. These words from the first letter of John express with remarkable clarity the heart of the Christian faith. The Christian image of God, the resulting image of mankind and its destiny. In the same verse, St. John offers a summary of the Christian life. We have come to know and to believe in the love that God has for us. Now listen to the Pope as he goes on. We have come to believe in God's love. 
In these words, the Christian can express the fundamental decision of his life. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person that gives a new horizon and a decisive direction. St. John puts it this way, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's love. It's an event. And notice, that's what Zacchaeus experienced. An event right in front of his eyes. That's what happens at the cross. An event. I also put in the front of our bulletin a quote from one of my heroes. You know, as I come to the close of these sermons, I'm putting all my heroes in the front of the bulletin. Last week, John R.W. Stott. And I sent last week's bulletin to Dr. Stott, who's in London, so he could see it. And I'll send this bulletin to Billy Graham. He wrote me a letter on my 50th celebration here. So I'm going to send this to Billy to show him that I, that University Press is, is reading Billy Graham still. I love Billy Graham. And I love this uh, wonderful things that he said in his, in, in his book, The Love of God. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, loving kindness had drawn you, Jeremiah. Who, and listen to Billy Graham. Who can describe or measure the love of God? Our Bible is a revelation of the fact that God is love. When we preach justice, it is justice tempered with love. And when we preach righteousness, it is righteousness founded on love. When we preach atonement for sin, it is atonement necessitated because of love, provided by love, finished by love. And when we preach the resurrection of Christ, we are preaching the miracle of love. When we preach the abiding presence of Christ, we are preaching the power of love. And when we preach the return of Christ, we are preaching the fulfillment of love. We have just witnessed the love of God. Pascal says, why be a Christian? Because three things have to be made clear to you in order to become a Christian. One, you have to be one by tradition. And in other words, it has to make sense to your life. Two, uh, you must discover that at its core is love. So that good people will hope it's true. And then third, you must discover that it's true. It's true. This we've just experienced when we watch Zacchaeus experience God's love. Heavenly Father, thank you for this love that we, that draws us to you. May we experience it in our own lives. And on this moment of the celebration of the Lord's Supper, in this joyous celebration, as we receive this sign and seal of your love for us. Lord, feed us with that love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.